You are now listening to The Jason D'Amico Show. Greetings, folks. Welcome back to The Jason D'Amico Show. And want to thank you so much again for tuning in. Want to thank iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Simplecast Radio for uh, for being our wonderful distributors. And this guest is, let me tell you guys, you are in a you are in for a special treat today. Um, what an incredible uh, j- body of work and just an incredible uh, 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 scope of influence, as as you will see very quickly. And he, is, our guest, is a multi award winning media producer, writer, speaker, coach, co founder, and CEO of Cook Media Group in Los Angeles. He's produced media programming in nearly 70 countries and has created some of the most influential inspirational tv programs in history with a client list that includes hollywood studios major nonprofit organizations and many of the most respected churches and ministries in the world his latest book is ideas on a deadline how to be creative when the clock is ticking and he's been called one of the most innovative communicators of our generation please welcome to the show phil cook or should i say Dr. Phil Cook. <laughs> I'm kind of the original Dr. Phil. That's um, right. Yeah, thank that's you, right. Jason. This, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. Me too. And and, and I really, I, we were just kind of bantering a little bit before we went live. Sure. And I got to say, you know, to have you on is a real honor because as you attest in the book, um, you know, when it comes to creative deadlines and one of the things that we have to do as creatives, especially entrepreneurial creatives is, yeah. You know, marginalize, marginalize and, and compartmentalize. And I'm one of those guys that's, you know, sending in a, a pitch to your uh, assistant staff. And somehow I got through uh, to have you on the show. So I appreciate it. No, we're, I'm thrilled to do it. And I love talking about creativity, particularly when it comes to uh, meeting deadlines. You know, it's funny. I, I started this whole process because I was on Amazon one day just looking around at creative books. And I, I love creativity. I've studied it for years. I've led creative teams all over the world. And I was just looking at, you know, what's new out there? What what are people writing about? And I realized that I couldn't find any books on how to be creative when the pressure's on, you know, when the clock is ticking, when the deadline is approaching, there's nobody out there talking about that. And the truth is guys like you and I, you know, you're a musician, you've got to, you've got to deliver that music. You've got to hit a deadline. You're a podcaster. You've got to, you know, you had to show up today for this podcast, no matter what happened in your life. And I'm the same way with television programs and documentaries and films and things like that. I live my life under the pressure of a deadline. So I just discovered that um, we need to talk about that because it's a it's a real big issue out there. And so many people really struggle under the fear of deadlines. Well, and, and I also th- so completely agree. And I also need to throw this in there. You'll, you'll get a kick out of this. So and, and as you know, with writing and produ- and I, and I want to yeah. get into your your beginning stages and all that. But real quick, I just have to say we've had over one hundred and thirty something guests on this show it's been going for about two or three years at this point you are definitely in the top i'd say two percent of the amount of homework that i have to do because (laughs) a lot a lot of folks that come on you know "Eh, it's they're an artist yeah they're you know it's like you fall into the three plus hour category i started this yesterday because i you know i had to i had to be ready and you know what are you going to do? But <laughs> you got you got to be ready for somebody of your caliber. And and I really I identify that with it as well because it, it it's especially difficult in this day and age when you have social media running the roost. Oh and yeah, got to be a writer. You've got to be a producer. You've you've got to be a, a correspondent expert. You've got so yeah, it's, it's incredible um, to have you on specifically for that reason, which is because I did this deep dive into your life. And you're one of those guests where there's no other choice but to put in the three, four, whatever, five hours yeah. into preparing. Yeah, and it's and I totally get it. And, and some research I came across years ago indicated that the typical person today sees about 10,000 media messages a day. So you're exactly right. The distractions are huge out there. We're being bombarded with media messages every day. So just finding that time to focus, to get alone, to really look at something. I, I was in writing the book, I came across an interesting study that when you're in the zone, when you're focused like you were yesterday, if somebody just walks in and interrupts you, 
it takes, you know, when that person leaves, it takes 20 to 40 minutes to get back to that same level right. of concentration and focus. So how many of those can happen in a day before our whole day's blown? And yet people refuse to shut the door. They won't say no. They want, you know, turn people away and, and really get serious about their focus. So first of all, kudos to you. You, you I appreciate you doing that. And taking I, feel, that effort. I feel like I was back it's in hard. college. You know, I have a couple of those <laughs> guests every year, like every year. It's, there's always a couple of those guests. It's like, man, I feel like I'm writing a college paper. So, uh, yeah. it, you know, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, that's pretty funny. And there, there was another interesting quote in the book. I have literally two pages of quotes here, but one of them that that <laughs> kind of strikes a chord is that. It, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was 75 gigabytes per day. Uh, yeah, that kind of what your reticular activation system is picking up just being yeah. alive. Is that how? Is that how it like? Yeah. Or just it's coming everywhere. In fact, you know, it's interesting. Um, all the data that was that has been created since the beginning of time, um, say, but from the beginning of time to about 2019, 2020, that amount of data is now being created every two days. So wow. we live in this world where we're, we're just being overwhelmed. They call it infobesity. Um, we're just being <laughs> overwhelmed with information. So to be creative in today's world may be the greatest challenge of all. It may be more difficult to truly be creative today than it's ever been in history. So you're onto something I think that's really, really important. If somebody's serious about creativity, we've also got to get serious about creating that, that time of focus, that solitude right. where we can really go deep. Well, we're going to go deep here for sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know where to start, Phil. I'm just going to start with kind of the beginning. And, and first of all, shout out to sure. Stephen Ashley Blake, because without Stephen on the show, I don't know if I ever really would have discovered you um, until a, a while later. So shout He's out to fantastic. He, he was such a great guest and um, all the best to him and, and what he's got going on with Steelway. What, what an incredible uh, yeah. story and, and uh, really vision. Is. so your beginning stages uh, very similar to kind of how I started out with just the creative world. Uh, yeah. And instead of it being super eight film for me, it was, just kind of like those crappy nineties, eight millimeter cameras where it yeah. zooms in forever and it takes forever to zoom back out. It's got the date on the bottom. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, so just wanted to kind of dive into how you got started with that. Just give the viewers a little bit. A lot of this information is out there on the internet. You're, 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 you're a man of transparency, which is great, but just for the, the sake of this podcast, sure. just to kind of dive into that beginning story and college and how that, yeah. that evolved for you. Well, when I was in high school, I had a group of buddies. Uh, we we took my dad's Super 8 movie camera, like you say, three-minute little reels back in those days. Didn't know how to edit. But we would go and make army movies and war movies and um, mafia movies, space movies, whatever you want. And they were pretty terrible, but we really gave it an effort. I, it never crossed our mind. This is something you could do for a living. But when I went away to college, I thought, well, let me take my movies and my, my dad's camera with me. And maybe I'll find somebody in college that wants to, to do this. It was just, a, just kind of a fun thing to do. And literally the week I was unpacking my suitcase, my first week on campus, a couple of the films fell out of my suitcase as I was unpacking. And a guy across the hall came over and said, hey, I'm taking a film class. I can show you how to edit those. And like I say, I had no clue you could even edit film. And so we went down to the film department that night at the university and we were working till late in the evening and to my surprise, the film professor was there and he'd been working on a project of his. And as he left, he stopped by our little edit table and introduced himself and said, you know, I've been watching your little movie out of the corner of my eye. And uh, I've got students that have been taken for two or three years that don't do this well. He said, would you mind if I showed your little film in my class tomorrow? So I said, sure, if I can sit on the back row, I'd love to see what they think. So I did the next day. He showed the film. I sat on the back row and trust me, it was nothing to scream about. But <laughs> the thing is, after they showed the film, the class discussed it. Yeah. And this idea, this 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 revelation, I would say, happened to me at that moment that this idea came to me that if I could do something with a camera that makes people talk like this, that's what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I, I literally went to the registrar's office that afternoon, changed my major. I had signed up as a, as a music major, didn't know what wow, else to okay. do. And uh, my dad was a pastor. So playing the piano was part of the gig back in those days. Right. And um, I didn't know what else to do, but I changed my major to film television and I've really never looked back. Now, what school was this again? Oral Roberts university in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Yeah. Now yeah. I think I heard in, in one of the Liberty uh, convocations, um, you you're actually a North Carolinian like me. 
Yeah, I grew up in Charlotte. Okay, graduated so from high school in Charlotte. I'm at, yeah, I'm actually in Chapel Hill. Okay. Yeah, born, well, you're up born, there with the smart guys from UNC. Yeah, I was born. I was born in Raleigh and, and grew up in the Triangle area. So. Oh uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, but uh, that was just a little side note there. So, so. Hey, where oh, did you? Hey, okay, hold a second. Where did you go to high school? <laughs> so, uh, Northwood High in Pittsburgh, okay. North Carolina, which okay. was around around since the early '70s, and uh, it was completely being renovated when I went there. Half of my classes were in trailers. It was great. It was it was just, you know, straight up backwoods, North Carolina. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh so so we 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 go through uh college and yep. uh your degree is in I guess film then film, or? TV, yeah, okay. film and TV back in those days. Film and TV, and then your doctorate, um, theology, yeah. correct? Yeah. Yes, so, that's correct. Now, did that how how much of a, a, a how did how did that happen for you? Was it more of like later <laughs> on, or did it kind yeah. of? Yeah, after after college, uh, about ten years after my undergraduate work, I got my master's degree in journalism of all things at the University wow. of Oklahoma. I was a okay. writer. I wanted to write. I was really focused on writing, and and um, I got to enroll at the University of Oklahoma and and focus on journalism, which was great. And then another 10 years go by and I just love being a student. I just, I just have a thing about being a student and many of our clients, our team here at cook media group, primarily we do not, we do films, uh, video productions, big, big, we do all kinds of stuff, marketing campaigns, advertising campaigns, and we do it for a lot of nonprofit organizations, some ministry organizations and churches. Right. And so my dad, like I said, my dad was a pastor. I've always loved that language. I've always, you know, loved to study that stuff. And theology was a fascination. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to enroll in that. And so I had to do some catch up, you know, every time I've, I've gone from one step to the other, I had to do a lot of catch up because it was a whole different field. But um, it's an interesting thing. I'm not going to ever be a professor, but I love theology. I love school and I just love studying and reading. So I just went after. In fact, I did my my doctoral dissertation at the Ph.D. program. I did my doctoral dissertation on the movie The Shawshank Redemption. That kind of freaked out my theology professors. But, hey, I got an A, so it worked out. <laughs> yeah, Um and one of the one of the things that we'll we'll get into, I want to get into the book, obviously. But one of the things I want to get into is your uh, what I heard that the 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 Liberty Speech was yeah. your your uh, your take on the, the the like the culmination of Christianity and how effective it is in the real world. So yeah. I think it's I think it's great that you just took initiative to educate yourself more on theology so it can, so you can make it more effective in the real world. I think, I think yeah, it's, our, right. it's funny. Our team at cook media group, we, we kind of only half jokingly say um, our, our mission is to help Christians not suck at the media. And if you've ever seen many Christian movies or Christian television programs, you know, there's a lot of work to be done out there. We're, we're yeah. working as hard as we can, but there's still more. So I'll have job security for the rest of my life. <laughs> Yeah, it's get it's definitely getting a little bit better with you in the mix for sure. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, you know, again, speaking of the book, uh, ideas on a deadline, fantastic. And this, I believe, this is your newest uh, yes. work as an yeah. author. Um, main premise I've got here is this book is about how to raise your game when it comes to meeting those deadlines without losing any of your creativity or sanity yeah. in the process. And I, I that's just right. think that's so brilliant. What I love about the book is it's, and you can obviously lend more in, in into this, but it's it's pragmatic, it's practical, um, educational, and inspirational all in one, and it's concise. I, I was able to get through it within a few hours, so I really, really enjoyed the well, read. Thank you. It was great. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of myths out there about creativity, particularly when it comes to working under pressure. Um, you know, one of them, one of the big myths that I think people watching or listening to this right now need to understand is that, that, you know, we think so many people think that some of us are born creative and some of us aren't. And whenever I speak at, at conferences or events on creativity, I'll always get some people that come up and say, well, you know, Phil, that's nice, but I just was never born creative. Well, let me tell you, there's not a shred of evidence out there, no research at all that indicates some people are born creative and some aren't. But the difference is 
create creativity is like a muscle. You have to use it. And so a lot of people don't use that muscle. In fact, there's some research that we start losing our creativity about age six, which is kind of interesting because that coincides with starting school. So what is it about our school system that makes us start getting less and less creative? But the fact is, everybody's born creative. Everybody has the capacity to be more and more creative. Now, another myth I think that's important is that um, we have to wait for that aha moment, you know, that eureka moment. So many people will say, you know, I'll come up with something, but I just need to wait till it hits me. I need to wait till the idea gods drop something on me. And that's just not true. The book is built around techniques and principles and ideas that you can use right now to help you come up with those great ideas when you need need them the most. Just because you have a deadline doesn't mean you have to come up with a terrible idea. That, that deadline can actually launch you into even better ideas. I think it was Orson Welles who directed the great movie Citizen Kane said the absence of limitations is the enemy of art. So in other words, limitations actually help accelerate great ideas. So once you understand that and once you learn to embrace deadlines, it can make such a dramatic difference in how quickly and how great your ideas can be. And you love deadlines. That's one. Oh, yeah. That's, that is one <laughs> fact in the book that one ringing theme, at, like almost every chapter. I love deadlines. I love deadlines. And yeah. and I got to be honest with you, you know, when I started this podcast in uh, 2019, I, it taught me that fact about myself, too, where yeah. uh, my my best preparation is usually the day before or the day of for Something yes, like you had, I just started yesterday, right? But a lot yeah. of the guests, I can actually do it the day of. I'm a lot sharper. I retain the information a lot better. Um, and, and that was that was the great thing about reading through this is there's so many so many great examples of as you attest to Edison. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, the the one example of him falling asleep in the chair with the I, yeah that he's, he's got those like little beads or something that would drop on the floor, and they were. there's all these different ways to stay sharp um, and to keep yourself in intact, like with, with deadlines, you know, and being able to um, really just meet a deadline is I think the most important thing in, in the creative world. If you can't meet a deadline and, and especially as an artisan artisan versus artist comparison, I think that's fantastic as well. If you could just elaborate. Yeah. Well, it, it, I, in the book, I talk about the fact that I don't even start a project till I see the deadline looming in the distance. Uh, right. You know, it's just funny. I don't know if I'm lazy or what, but also as I interviewed people for the book, super high level creatives in Madison Avenue advertising in New York or high level people in Hollywood here, writers, producers, directors, actors. I realized pretty quickly that the higher you go, the more creative people are, the more they've learned to embrace deadlines and they love deadlines. I, I, I don't even start. I won't accept a project from a client until unless it has a deadline attached to it, because essentially a deadline gives you a roadmap. You know when you have to turn it in. So therefore, you can start scheduling when I need to do my research, when I need to read or study, when I need to reflect, when I need to talk to people about it, whatever your process is. It all could be back time from that deadline. So that deadline is more critical than people think. And I think it really does matter. And one of the key ways to, to hit the deadline is, you know, get out of your head. So often we think, okay, we're going to sit in that office and we're going to come up with the idea if I have to beat my brains against the wall. Right. But the truth is sometimes get out of there. You know, for me, walking is powerful. Willie Nelson said his greatest songs have been written while he was driving in the car. Um, I'm, you know, I live a block from the Verdugo mountains here in Los Angeles. So I'll often go out for a walk when I get stuck. The the key thing though, Jason, is you can't be thinking consciously about things. If, if you go out for that walk or you go for that drive or, you know, take a shower or whatever it is you do that springs those ideas, you can't be consciously thinking about that deal that went south or that boyfriend or girlfriend that, you know, jilted you or some other concentrated there, the big football game coming up on Sunday, You've got to kind of let your mind wander. And it's those subconscious, when your subconscious mind takes over, connections start happening. And you mentioned Edison. He believed it happened right before or after he was falling asleep, right in that little gray area. And that's why he was so big on naps and trying to wake up during that little time of falling asleep or waking up. 
those little connections start happening because our subconscious takes over. So I, the, the biggest encouragement I would tell people is get out of the office, get out of the place where you're stuck. I tell leaders all the time, if you're, you know, stop having meetings in the conference room. If the problem is at the loading dock, have the meeting at the loading dock. If the problem is in the parking lot, have the meeting in the parking lot, wherever the problem is, go there because that opens up new avenues of creativity and it'll often spark connections that you won't think of sitting in the conference room, eating a donut. It's fantastic. And, and uh, I mean, theta waves in general, I've, I've done a lot of like, just uh, as a sidebar, I've, I've personally done a lot of research into it. I've been experimenting a lot over the last year or two um, with finding different ways of incorporating prayer as a believer with yeah. kind of that theta wave thing and, and looking at parallels in the Bible of where it shows up. And I, and I'm very, well, not really shocked, but I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm excited to find out that folks like Edison and Einstein, a lot of their revelations, a lot of their genius was coming from those, those places of theta waves. And then you mentioned another great thing too, with getting into the, into that environment where, uh, you're able to get all five senses involved, especially yeah. as a creative. That's so important. I, I just think it's great that you really touch on that in the book. Well, it's funny, you know, long before I wrote the book, I realized long ago, the power of sh- taking a shower. I don't know what it is, yeah. but when that water hits my face, man, the ideas start popping. And I, I was complaining about it one day in the office. And, you know, by the time I get out of the shower, dry off, find a pen and paper, I've forgotten about the idea. And, um, an assistant went online and found a company called Aqua Notes that actually makes waterproof legal pads. So I've got one of those in my shower now and my productivity has gone through the roof. So it's just kind of funny where, you know, try to find those places. I've, I've met executives here in Hollywood that have a shower installed in their office just for those times they get stuck. So, you know, whatever it takes for you, really cultivate that, develop it, figure out where you're best. Well, you know, Probably my most important chapter is what I call the holy trinity of creativity, which is, you know, schedule and find the place, schedule the time and then show up. And one of the things we've discovered is routines are so incredibly important. Uh, There's a guy named Mason Curry that came out with a book a number of years ago called Daily Rituals, and he took 161 artists, thinkers, scientists, politicians, brilliant people Uh, over the last couple of hundred years. And all he did was study their daily routine. And in every single case, they were all virtual slaves to routine that he found out they get up every morning at the same time. They sit down to work at the same time. They have the same daily schedule. Stephen King has a target of 2000 words, the horror writer. He has a target of 2000 words. He writes every day. He writes on his birthday. He writes on Christmas. It doesn't matter. He gets up and he won't do anything else until he gets that done. So it is interesting that we are all creatures of habit or creatures of routine. And so one of the things I encourage people do is don't just assume you can sit down whenever you want to and come up with a brilliant idea. Get into a regular routine of finding that creative place and really focusing your time. And of course, scheduling is important. You know, we're all circadian rhythm people. I'm a I'm an early morning person. And um, when you figure out the time of day, you're at your most creative. Let me tell you, guard that with everything you've got and try to focus your intense creative moments around that time. And I'll tell you, the productivity will will really be amazing. My my problem in the past, and what I've realized for me is that unfortunately I'm one of those night owl creative yes my wife is but my body is all about daytime so it's kind of like that constant <laughs> clashing between you know do i feel like crap the next morning or you know what do i what do i do and then you know being an actor you're so used to getting up early right right yeah you know, get on sets like four five six a.m call times but then the musician life is, I mean, you're going to bed at that hour. So it's That's like, right. where, you know, where do you find? So anyway, you just, you find grace. Well, you know, it. it's, it's funny. It's a challenge. And the truth is a lot of people, you know, listening to this podcast right now will be, will have regular eight to five jobs. They'll, right. they'll have regular jobs so they can't control their day. However, I, when I, when I learned that I was a morning person, I was doing an eight to five job I, I, in the Midwest. I had a normal job at a television studio and, um, 
I thought, you know what? I, I, I had two little girls at home, my wife and I, and, and I just couldn't get, I tried to write. I was working on my first book. It took me a year and I was getting nowhere. So I decided to come in early. I figured, okay, if I'm a morning person, let's test this out. So I came into the office at 6 a.m. And for two hours, I could work uninterrupted. I know no phone calls, nobody in the office, no other employees. And I literally wrote my first two books in those two hour blocks wow. from six to eight in the morning. So as much as you can, obviously we can't 100% control our daily schedule, but as much as you possibly can try to shift what you can to that time when you're at your best, because I just discovered early on two hours during my best time of day is better than four or five hours. Any other time of day That's after great. lunch, I'm pretty, I'm pretty worthless when it comes <laughs> to intense creative time. So yeah. find that time and really try to stick with it. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, I, I do want to I want to go back to actually I think it was chapter one where you talk about a real nerving incident where you had to rewrite. Uh, th <laughs> yeah, was that three? I don't. Was it three outlines? It was three commercials. T three TV commercials for a marketing campaign for a new NBC television program, primetime show for Marty Croft, who is a really interesting character. Um, had the op you know I had the opportunity in my. I guess it was late twenties to go out there and, and pitch him. He called me up and had heard about some commercials and things that I'd been doing and said, I need you. I'm launching a new television program prime time. And he said, I want, I need a new advertising campaign for it. He said, write three commercials and fly out to LA. I was living in, in the Midwest at the time. He said, come to LA, let me see them. And this is before the internet. So I couldn't right. just email them. And um, I said, fine. So I came out, I worked for a couple of weeks on them. I thought they were genius. I, I really worked hard on them, came out here. I mean, he literally was the king of primetime TV at the time. He, he was at Sunset Gower Studios, what we call it today, had about 10 or 12 secretaries and assistants. And I, I walked up, threaded my way through all those guys, walked in, handed the scripts. He didn't ask me to sit down. Um, he read the scripts and needless to say he was not happy right and uh he just lit into me there was profanity involved there was threats involved you know why did i fly you all the way out here to give me this crap and um wow. he said but but there was this pause and he said but you know what i've heard about you and i've heard you're better than this he said i tell you what i'm going to a recording session he said i'll be gone for about an hour he said there's a conference room at the end of the hall he said my assistant will get you whatever you need typewriter pen pencils this was before i could afford a laptop and um, he said, well, sandwiches, whatever you need. And so I went down there terrified, knew I had an hour to rewrite those three scripts. And honestly, I don't think I used a single word from the original versions in the new ones. Wow. But I just started I just started writing. And and when I took him back into the office after that hour, he loved it. He loved them. He said, OK, now this is what I'm talking about. We can make this work. And it just taught me a valuable lesson that here I'd taken all those weeks beforehand trying to come up with a great idea. But I'll tell you, once he said, go into that room and you have an hour and that pressure started hitting and I came up with what he needed, I realized early on, I don't need all the time in the world. There are ways that I can come up with great ideas when I need them the most. And, and it's funny, that was 35, probably 40 years ago. And wow. yet that stuck with me this whole time. And that was probably the genesis of this book when that yeah. happened all those years ago. Yeah, I was I was going to say, I mean, it's almost like from a breaking the walls of 3d and just the the natural from a supernatural perspective it's almost yeah. like it was outside of time just for that to happen just for the book to be written yeah. you know and i you know and, and the truth is there's a spiritual element to this I, I don't deny for a minute that god hasn't played a role in a lot of the ideas and the projects i've had but i think the key thing is i'm going to do everything in my power to do what i can uh, to come up with the idea and and if god decides to drop something brilliant on me. Fantastic. I love it. I accept it. I think it's fantastic, but I'm not going to just constantly depend on him or any other kind of source for my ideas. Right. There are things that we can work and put into action that will really make a big difference. That's great. That's great. There was a, there's something else I want to touch on real quick. I mean, there's so, there's so much here. I might even <laughs> be able to hit all of it, but one of the big things that I do want to hit, is yep. the chapter on pitching your ideas successfully yes. pitching your ideas i really really got out got a lot out of that that was that was fantastic and i've there's other books that i've read over the years where i'm seeing a lot of you know similar quotes that i've seen before or just similar themes 
But I definitely want to give a good few minutes for you to kind of elaborate more on that because it is, especially for our audience, it's they're, you know, they're younger in the industry. This is such a pitfall. You also mentioned something else about the education system. I, I have right here, get Phil's opinion on why a lot of this experiential knowledge isn't more based in a majority of school systems and programs. Like that's literally highlighted right here. So I'm all on that wavelength and would love to honor some time for that, for you to just kind of, you know, give us. Well, that's an interesting, I'm glad you brought it up because it's an interesting question. Um, Pitching, you know, trying to make your dream, their dream, trying to get someone on your side, present, presenting your idea to somebody, hopefully they'll buy it or, or, you know, help you in some way. It's a big part of everything we do. You don't have to be an actor or a producer or a filmmaker or a writer to um, pitch. We pitch all the time. Everybody does. If I want to get romantic with my wife tonight, I've got to pitch her on the idea. (laughs) If if my wife wants me to take her out to dinner tonight, she's got to pitch me on the idea. So we don't realize just how important pitching is to everything we do. And it's not a shallow, you know, it's not, I'm not using anybody. I just want to make, I want to make them as passionate and inspired about my, this dream I have as, as I am. Right. So in, 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 we just don't think of focusing and really thinking about how to do that. Well, I've often said, Jason, that, that, People skills are more important than the skills it takes to do your job. Uh, you may be a great musician. I, I, it's funny. I was part. I was a partner in a TV commercial company for a number of years. We did Super Bowl commercials. We did really high end spots. We were kind of yeah. a comedy company, and we had directors that were that that worked for us that were brilliant, creative geniuses, but we could not allow them to be in a room with a client alone. They could not express themselves. They had no people skills. They could be jerks. They they were brilliantly created behind the camera, but they had no skill for dealing with people. And, And it really taught me early on how important people skills really are. And that's where pitching comes in, being able to deal with people. Uh, so many situations. I'll give you a good example. Literally an hour before this, we recorded this podcast, <laughs> a guy called me. He was pitching me an idea for a project he wanted to do. He literally talked for 50 minutes without stopping. I, I, I tell you what, I put my phone on mute. He never noticed it. I, I started answering emails. He never noticed it. And he just kept on going, just going and going on 50 minutes into the conversation. It wasn't really a conversation. It was his one way dialogue. Yeah. 50 minutes in, I finally unmuted my phone and said, look, I, I've got to go do this podcast with Jason. I don't I don't I've got to you know, oh I don't have time. I, and I actually said, I don't know why you pitch me this idea because you haven't given me any time for my my thoughts or suggestions or ideas. You could have done this at home by yourself. And it was a little bit firm. It was a little bit, you know, harsh, but I wanted him to realize that when you go into a pitch, you just don't take over and dominate the conversation for nearly an hour. It's a conversation and you have to, you know, there's things you need to know about pitching that I think are incredibly, incredibly important. So it's, it's good that you brought it up because it's a skill that I think everybody needs to learn. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, look, I'm, I'm in my twenties and, and it's, I'm actually, I'm a business graduate. And mm. I went to a private school, you know, it was like a good school in North Carolina and love the school, but it's yeah. like, why wasn't this in there? I, I mean, I had to learn this through parents, you know, luckily my yeah. dad's got a master's and an MBA and has a, a corporate background, but has an appreciation for the arts as well, you know? So it's like learning through all these other sources and mentors. Why is this not even on a, college level where you're not really getting this for a business yeah. degree it, just, it i think there was one course that i had where there was like one or two incidences where we had to prepare something and, and you know it's always right a a joke compared to the real world or something that you actually personally care about you know yeah so, well you, you know just if let's leave it you know there's a chapter in the book about it but let's leave them with a couple little tips here real yeah, quick yeah let's let's no, please number one make it short and sweet don't leave don't be like my friend an hour ago who took 50 minutes to give me his idea <laughs> make it short and sweet uh, get right to the point i tell people don't tell me how deep the water is just bring in the boat um i don't need to hear your life story i don't need to hear the 30 years that brought you to this moment i just want to tell i just want you to tell me about what this idea is and how i can help so get to the point quickly another important thing is the fanciest presentation doesn't always help i mean here in hollywood for instance when you go pred- uh, pitch to a producer or a tv network or a film studio you know what 
taking all kind of watercolors and photographs and music and supportive stuff. They're not interested. They want to know what the idea is. That's what they're going to buy. So you don't have to be fancy. You just have to be good sharing that idea. Another thing is very often you'll walk into a pitch and you're planning on pitching to say Mr. Big, but you walk in and there's somebody else there. Maybe mm -hmm. it's somebody you don't know. Maybe they're not introduced to you. You don't know if it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a golf buddy or a brother, or you, you have no clue who this person is or a partner in the company and you're not introduced. And the mistake most people make is they think, you know what? I, I came here to pitch to Mr. Big. So that's what I'm going to do. They pitch to Mr. Big and pretty much ignore the guest that, that, mysterious guest that's in the room. Yeah. And, but I can tell you what, that's a huge mistake because the minute you walk out of the room, the first thing Mr. Big is going to do is turn to his friend and say, what'd you think of that guy? And if he didn't like you or you dissed him or you didn't, you know, you were not taught, you didn't embrace him into the conversation. He's going to say, well, honestly, I didn't like the guy very much. And that's going to have a huge amount of weight. So always embrace that mystery guest. Introduce yourself to him or her just the way you introduce yourself to Mr. Big. So little things like that. And, and one final thing I would say is yeah. don't bug Mr. Big. Don't drive him nuts. I actually had a guy who pitched me an idea for a television program. And literally, he called me in the car on his way home to find out if I'd made a decision about it yet. Um, don't bug them. Some people will call me, call me, call me, email me, email me, email me. Um, I need time. Give people a, a week, two weeks, a month sometimes. Everything is a little bit different depending on what it is. But pitch them the idea, thank them, leave the room. And, you know, if you need to follow up, give it some time. So you don't want to get on the wrong side of a person by driving them nuts trying to follow up on the idea. So it, it just little things like that can make a dramatic difference when you're pitching an idea. And I, another thing to tag on real quick with that, your delineation between result and relational. Um, oh, yeah. That I thought that was brilliant because that that's something that I'm going to take with me and, and really marinate on because it depends. And maybe it's more of an extrovert introvert thing as well. But I think yeah. it's even more than that because uh, in the book, I think you are you, you say you're result oriented. I think I fall more on that spectrum as well okay some people though they want to shoot the breeze they want it totally 90 percent of it is this conversation and it's like then at the end oh yeah what what was that that you wanted to talk about <laughs> 45 minutes in yeah so it's it you know any thoughts on that as well or you absolutely know, you know it's funny you say that because my wife kathleen is a relationships person if she's meeting with somebody she's going to ask them about their kids how they're doing you know how they're feeling feeling today they're going to yeah. talk just just chit chat for a while me no 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 don't tell me you know just i i just want to know i want to get right to the point don't tell me about the labor pains just show me the baby um <laughs> i just I just want to get to the point and figure out why you're here and how I can help or what I can do for you. Um, so get to the point. So in the, in the point of the book was neither, it's not a better or worse thing. They're both equally great. Right. Just know that person you're pitching to know before you go in the room, if that person wants to get right to the point, or if that person is much more open to sitting down, having a coffee, chatting about stuff, and then working your way to the, the pitch. So that really makes a big difference too. Yeah, another thing that was interesting too, and in that there's so much in that chapter. It's just coming to me now. The um, knowing how to listen, because oh, yeah. the, the one deal that you were able to uh, broker or close on, yeah. and you didn't even say anything. I mean, the guy was just irate with some other director, yeah. and uh, you could probably tell the story better than me. But that I thought that was I thought that was great. Yeah, it's, it's very often I've been in situations where actually me not talking or saying very, very little was advantageous, advantageous. I made a big deal. It's, you know, in that situation, I, I walked into the office to pitch a producer who was on the phone with the director of a project he had just finished working with. And he was enraged at this guy. It was over budget. He was over, he, he over schedule. He came in late with a project and this producer was just screaming at this guy. And I was super polite. I just stood there and, and listened to everything. And at the end of the conversation with the person, the, the producer's, slammed the phone down, looked up Babby and said, man, I'm so sorry. I, I just, I didn't mean to expose you to all that. He said that I was just a nightmare experience with this guy. He said, I'll tell you what, whatever it is you want to pitch me, I'll do. Let's just do it. <laughs> and uh, I, I walked out without saying a word. So it was perfect. That's so good. So good. I, I, the book is, you know, chock full of, um, of, of fantastic 
ideas. And I, I mean, I've I, like I said, we're not going to be able to hit everything on here, sure. but a, cu- a couple of things real quick. Uh, self-awareness, the importance of it. I've got a quote, fear can work against you or work for you. It's all in how you react. I think that's really important, especially yeah. in our world as creatives. There's a lot of times where I personally maybe could have pulled the trigger a little bit sooner on something, but I just, you know, was afraid of what so-and-so was going to think and whatnot. So I think that's really great. I think that's really important, you know, and, yeah. and breaking through that boundary of fear. There's also passion versus hunger, which you could probably put a little bit more uh, pepper, a little bit more onto that here for a couple of minutes. I thought that was another really interesting point was yeah, passion isn't going to do it at the end of the yes. day. They, they ebb and flow. And as I've gotten a little bit older, I realized that I had this yeah. passion to get so good at guitar, did the six, yes. 10, 12 hours a day for five, eight years, whatever. Then it kind it's of funny. It kind of morphed, right? You know, yeah, it changes it a little bit. And and that's part of the process. Passion gets caught up in feelings. And as we all know, feelings can betray us. They can change regularly. You know, yeah. so many things impact our feelings. And, you know, I, it's funny. I get I'll get a screenplay from writers quite frequently and um, th- they'll send me a note with a screenplay. They want me to read it and they'll say, Phil, I'm so passionate about writing. And it doesn't take but three or four pages to, for me to realize they may be passionate, but they're really terrible writers. And I learned early on that passion does not necessarily equate with talent, skill, gifting. And so my advice to people is do your best to figure out what you're really wired to do. You know, what were you put on the earth to accomplish? What are you good at? What do people notice? You know, remember, if you go back to, to high school, remember at the when we plan the prom, things like the planning committee, we'd sit around a, a table and someone would say, you know, Susan, you're great with numbers. Why don't you do the budget? Bob, right. you're great in front of people. Why don't you host? Sam, you're amazingly creative. Why don't you come up with a theme? Other people notice what we're good at. And very often we don't think to sit down and just reflect on what have people noticed about us? What is the thing? What's the thing that's been really easy for me? I I directed a lot of projects for ESPN when I was in my 20s and 30s. And um, I would find out from professional athletes, you know, that they'd say, Phil, I was just the guy in the neighborhood that could catch the ball that nobody else could catch. Or I was just the fastest guy on the street. And find out those things that you are natural at. Maybe you didn't even notice it because they come so easy. Maybe that's the area you should focus in and not necessarily. And trust me, when you discover what you're wired to do, Jason, you get passionate about that pretty quick. So I really encourage people, don't worry about passion. Let that take care of itself. Figure out what you were really wired to do, what your skills and talents point to, and start focusing on that. And it can make a huge difference. That's huge. That's huge. And and you talk about it in the book, and you kind of transition into the story at some point in there about, I don't want to give too much away, because people have got to get this book. It's it's fantastic. Uh you, you wanted to be a director. You studied yeah. the, the, the hell out of directing. And then yep. you kind of reached a threshold where it it just changed, right? The passion yeah. changed a little bit. And then you saw kind of a, 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 a change for you with production and, and writing being more of the focal point. If you could just elaborate on that for a second. Yeah, I think ever, ever, ever since college, directing is what I was passionate about. I've got a, a, upstairs, I've got a library of about a thousand books and uh, probably half of them are on directing or lives of famous directors. And I've directed all over the world. I've done everything you could possibly imagine. And um, I did a project for a huge advertising agency at the time. It was the largest ad agency in the world based in Asia. And we were shooting it. It was a short film they wanted us to do. We were shooting it up in um, up in Vancouver. And um, I had a great crew. It was a perfect situation. But halfway through the project, I just realized I'm not getting what I wanted out of the actors. I'm not for some reason. I'm not being able to capture what I need to capture and what I see in my head. And I would go back to my room, my hotel room at night, frustrated and upset. And I just, I was embarrassed about the project. I was embarrassed about what I was, you know, how badly I performed. And on reflection, once I started really thinking about this, I mean, it it really hit me like a ton of bricks. I started to realize um, I may not have the skill at directing to go to the level I want. I mean, granted, I had a ton of, I'd won a ton of awards. I've directed all over the world. Most people thought, hey, I'm really good at this. But the place I wanted to go in my career, I realized I didn't have what it takes to get there. And and as I thought about it, I realized, well, but wait a second, I've written everything I've ever done. I've produced almost everything as well as directed. 
And I started thinking maybe writing and producing is where I should start focusing. And so I did. I took this radical shift and I started bringing in really talented directors to work on our projects. I started focusing on the writing and the producing. And I'll tell you, when that happened, we took a real step forward. Uh, we started doing bigger projects, better projects. And I started realizing that this is what I need to be focused on. Now, the tragedy is I probably spent 15 years trying to be a director and I'm thinking, what if I'd have realized this 15 years earlier? Where would I be with my career now? So I think it's a good example. I mean, it was really tough for me to, to experience that and go through, but it made me realize um, just how important it is to figure out what where your gift is, what you're really good at doing. And you have to be really hardcore about this, brutally honest about what right. you're good at. Right. Then, and And sure enough, once I realized that, passion caught up. And today I'm just super passionate about writing and producing and putting projects together. And um, it's a whole different ballgame for me now. And it happened because I recognize that, you know, passion will not take you where you need to go. It's huge. And I'm so glad that you, uh, you threw that in the book and that you really gave it some ample time to talk about it because, um, I, you know, especially for, again, in my teen years and, and anybody's teen years, it's just, it's a totally different ball game, you yeah. know, compared to once you start getting in your twenties or thirties, things change and it's okay for totally things true. to change. And it yeah. just, whatever those skill sets are, they build on whatever really from a spiritual sense, what God's got for you. And yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to, to see it at that time and think, well, you know, when you look back that there's, there's a reason for everything, even if we don't understand why it happened at that point, yeah. It may not, you may not see the, the, the gift on your life until 15, 20 years later, 30 really years true. later. Yeah. 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 I think you're exactly right. Well, you know, in, in many ways, it might be a good way to wrap this up. Yeah. That, you know, I think one of the most important skills people can learn is to say no. You know, I talk about that early Huge. in the book, but Huge. you know, you, you just mentioned what God's called us to do. If you really feel like you've been put on the earth to accomplish something important, if you really feel like you have a purpose in your life, you're going to have to say no to some pretty good things to open up your ability and time to do the really great things. And so, so many of us, I mean, we're creative, you and I are creative and we, we're nice people and we want to help people and we want to, you know, do what we can to help others early in my career. My, my assistant, my very first assistant I ever had, Jeanette, I'll never forget, came into my office one day and said, you know, I've been tracking your time over the last month. She said, you help more you, you help more people outside their company with their career and their future and what they're trying to do than you do help in our company. You, you spend way too much time on people outside the business. And she said, you can do that. That's okay. It's very notable. But if you keep doing it, we'll be out of business in a year. Right. And it really made me realize, okay, 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 okay. I don't have to be a jerk. You could be nice about this, but we needed to build a wall around my time so that I can start focusing on the things that we really feel that God's called us to do and the reason we were put on the earth to accomplish. So I think that learning to say no is difficult. It's funny, in the book, I even list six or eight ways to say no so you don't appear like a jerk or you don't, right. you know, you, you're not too harsh uh, for all the people that are maybe introverts or people that have difficulty confronting. Um, you know, the truth is you have important things to do with your life. You shouldn't say yes to everything. You need to, be, and I also think that if you can't say no occasionally, your yes eventually will mean nothing. So no. really- being able to draw those boundaries is going to be really important to be able to produce the quality of creative work that you're capable of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, as we, as we start to wrap up here, one, one quick thing that I, I, I did want to touch on was uh, your, your speaking ability. And if that, I, I was just curious if that was more of an innate gifting that you were, so good at public speaking because it's, it's really prevalent <laughs> at least to me it's you're one of the best that i've seen really really well you're very kind videos uh or was it more of a skill that you really had to cultivate over time uh and just you know take a, a minute or two to just kind of touch on that sure i think you're very kind a, a little of both you know my dad was a as i said my dad was a pastor right. and he was a, an amazing storyteller and i used to i lived upstairs in our house i grew up in a what used to be a one-room schoolhouse and they turned it into a parsonage and built a second floor and and um, I would sit at when, when we would have friends come over at night to visit my parents, I would sit at the top of the stairs just listening to my dad tell stories because he was such a master at it. And so I think I grew up 
learning how to tell stories well and why, why it mattered. However, I've studied and, and, you know, the first time I ever spoke, it's kind of funny in my mid twenties, um, I was working at a conference backstage, just helping out. And there was a panel and it was a media panel on uh, some aspect of TV. I forget exactly. But at the last minute, one of the celebrity people that were supposed to, that was supposed to be on the panel, his missed his flight. He couldn't make it. And they had an empty spot. And the guy that was directing the conference said, Phil, why don't you step in? You don't have to say anything important. Just sit in the spot and mm -hmm. contribute. And um, that was the first time I ever spoke publicly. And I'll tell wow. you, I just loved it. I loved it. Wow. And so since that time I've studied it, I think it's really important to practice, 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 study it. There's some great books out there. And um, I just, it's, we are very kind, first of all, to say that. But I'm always trying to work through how to become better and how to engage with audiences more effectively. But I'll tell you, as leaders, particularly as creative leaders, this is a good, good, good point. As creative leaders, we're going to have to speak to groups of people. We're going to have to yeah. speak to our team. We're going to have to speak to, uh, you know, other employees. We're going to have to speak in, you know, other ways. And learning to have that skill is incredibly important. If, if you want to get your ideas across, if you want to really make your ideas some other people passionate about your ideas, you're going to have to learn to speak publicly. And I think that's that's a great point that you make. You quote Steve Jobs a few times in the book. And I, again, for me, from what I've seen, uh, again, my personal opinion, but I, I would put your speaking effectiveness up there with him, with some of the stuff well, that he's you. done in the colleges. So uh, I, I when I funny, funny story real quick as we wrap up, uh, I was driving to Liberty earlier this year for a uh, a film that i yeah. was that I, I had a role in and was i discovered you right around that time of having steven on the show a few months yeah. back and it was right around the time i was going to shoot this film and i just did a deep dive into what was available for you on youtube or from you on youtube and it was the liberty speeches and your podcast <laughs> that, and whatnot that keeps coming up and i was like uh, <laughs> I'm driving to Liberty, listening to these convocations <laughs> at Liberty. It was like, I just, it was, it was just, I don't know why it keeps coming up, but it was just, that was a long yeah. time ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So uh, as, as we kind of wrap up here, I, I do have one little thing that I like to do at the end, which is called the shootout, which is okay. pretty quick. I just say a word that's related to the guest industry wise, and um, you just fire a word back and it's, it's sounds good. Like a fun little thing. So uh, lighting critical yeah uh you know, and, and i'll tell you this about lighting it's it's not what you light it's what you don't light that matters uh, shadow is just as important as what you've lit so that's good. it is really critical when you're that's, telling a story that's good i like that i like that documentary my favorite i, I love documentaries i'm me a huge too. fan me too yeah and by the way great work we didn't really have time to get into that but uh, yeah Insanity of God. I had a chance to check that out. I, Thank you. I, I really want to see the whole thing, but for just on the trail on the website, incredible. Well, let me say this. Um, doc, when it comes to documentaries, Christians, especially if you're talking about Christians, mm -hmm. we often will take a low budget and try to make a dramatic movie and we do a terrible job right. when that same budget would do an amazing documentary. So don't always assume every film you have to make is a big dramatic epic. I'll tell you, there's a place out there, particularly now that Netflix and Amazon are, are so popular there's some great documentaries there and we have avenues now of getting documentary scenes so i encourage people don't don't forget documentaries absolutely that's great uh film um it was fun while it lasted <laughs> i'm not it's not a one word thing but i love film i'm i'm I was, i've shot miles of film and um it was it was a great it was a great run but now pretty much everything is video right Right. Uh, commercial. Um, storytelling. Uh, one of the things I admire about commercials is you can tell a powerfully compelling story in 30 seconds or a minute. And people don't understand just what an art form that actually is. Yeah. And and and, and on that real quick, uh, you and I both, it seems we, we have a, a, a real sentiment for Ogilvy. Uh, from what oh, I saw totally, in your yeah. book and my dad got me turned on to Ogilvy years ago. He's got some of his old books laying around and that one quote really hit me hard in the book. It's like, if it doesn't sell, it's not 
creative. Like I, yes. that, that was just I've ne- I, I I haven't seen that one from him before. So when I saw that in the yeah. book, I was like, man, this is crazy. Yeah, it's true though. It's, it's, not, true. it's not creative unless it sells. It's a great quote. Yeah. Uh, so you know, thinking about commercials, it just made me think of Ogilvy. Uh, faith. Uh, life and death. It's central to what I do. Um, it's so important. Uh, you know, for me, a- answering the big questions of life. If we don't do that, there's no real point in answering the small questions. Absolutely. North Carolina. Home. <laughs> used to be. I don't yeah. know if I'll ever go back, but it used yeah. to be. L.A. Uh, changing. Changing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that the thousands and thousands of people that have left California in the last year, a lot of them are from L.A., and the industry is changing. The movie business is moving. Um, I think Hollywood's still going to be an important place for a long time. But when you see what's happening in Nashville and Atlanta and other places, Austin and other places, you start yeah. seeing that Hollywood is be- being bigger than just one town. Yeah, that and that was one thing I wanted to uh, I'll, I'll make a note. I'll ask you right before we end out on this. I'll, I'll come back to L.A. in a second. Uh, writing my favorite it's joy i love writing i, yeah. I, I can't I, I i would write for free I, I just can't not write social media distraction yeah yeah huge <laughs> it, it can be it definitely can be yes. um and then pizza is the last but most important um canadian bacon uh, okay. I, I, you know what i i i love pizza someone said that Pizza is, you know, like sex. Even when it's bad, it's still good. So, um, <laughs> oh uh, man, that's one. Okay, yeah. I'm stealing that one. That's that's good. I, ha- I can't believe I haven't heard that before. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, back to the LA thing, real quick, and then and then we will wrap sure. up. Uh, re- I had I had a very important point on here that I did want to hit, which was. Your your personal point of view on being in that scene as a believer. I know that there's been a lot of negative connotations with LA um, and and some faith based communities. Sure. Uh, it'll eat you alive. Da da da. Like you can go down through the whole list. Um, you've obviously thrived there, which I think is great. And would love to just give you kind of a, a couple of minutes to talk about the. Yeah. The compare and contrast of that with with Hollywood and just your thoughts on it. I always encourage people to to stop looking at Hollywood as the enemy. If, if you're a if you're a faith person, if you're you're a Christian, you're driven by faith. I, I, I tell people stop looking looking at Hollywood as the enemy and start looking at Hollywood as a mission field. It's funny. We don't look at other countries as the enemy. Uh, We think of them as a mission field. We want to go out and reach them. Why not do that here? If we really want to see the entertainment and media that we're being offered and that's being created changed, let's send missionaries out here. So there's some very highly placed Christians in the industry out here. Um, In my case, everybody in town knows that I'm a Christian. Um, One of the things I would encourage young filmmakers to think about and actors and musicians is if you do come to Hollywood, and one of the things to consider is, Yes, things are being made all over the country. They're being shot in Atlanta. I I was talking to a friend of mine who's a a producer who's shooting in uh, New Orleans right now for a major studio. But the decisions are almost all still made in Hollywood. So the the, the films that get, get green-lighted for the most part are green-lighted here in Hollywood. Uh, right. they'll, they'll shoot all over the place. But if you want to be a producer, director, major actor, people like that, sometimes you should you know, really think about being here. But when you come, if you come to Hollywood, don't lead with your faith, lead with your talent. That's so incredibly important. Every year yes. I see people, I see Christians who come to Hollywood and they'll go meet producers or meet studio heads and say, hey, God called me to Hollywood. God, God called me to change the industry. Well, they get laughed off the lot. They, yeah, they, that, they, they're embarrassing. Yeah. But you come out here and you show that you're a brilliant writer, that you're a brilliant director or an actor or musician, that will get their attention. And if they embrace that, then they'll listen to anything you have to say. I mean, after all, Hollywood is not, you know, being a Christian here is not so weird. There are people in Hollywood that worship rocks and hug trees. So being a Christian isn't that strange. Um, so you just have to have integrity and you have to be really, really, really good at what you do. Keep in mind, there's, you know, speaking of actors, there's high school theater, 
Then maybe you do college theater. Then maybe you do community theater and all those you're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you're finding more talented competition. Let me tell you, you come to the, you come to Hollywood. That's the Super Bowl. And so the right. most amazing people from all over the world are here. So you better be ready to lead with your talent when you come, because that's what will open the door. And then they're more open to listening to anything you have to say once that happens. It's fantastic. Thanks so much for that. That wisdom cool. there for anybody who's listening. Yeah. Um, one last question for you that I ask everybody, which is if you could go back in time to your 15 year old self, knowing what you know now, what would you tell them? I would. Oh, there's too much. I, there's a book. I would, you know, people say, don't, I have no regrets. I have a million regret, mm. regrets. I think I made a lot of stupid choices over the years. Uh, I think the biggest thing I would say is do it sooner and do it yourself. Don't wait for a publisher. Don't wait for a studio. Don't wait for a producer. Get out there and do whatever you can. Just like I had my dad's Super 8 film camera. Today, we have a, a studio in our pocket. You know, there are there's a, I, I understand there's a couple of film festivals now for feature movies shot on iPhones. Wow. I met a director of photography in, here in Hollywood the other day. She only shoots on iPhone. She's got all kind of elaborate rigs, which means... I don't want to hear any more excuses. You don't. What are you waiting for? Get out there and start telling your story. And the sooner you can do it, the better. Love it. This is this has been such a treat, Phil. Really, oh, really fun. appreciate thank you. having you on, and thank you again for your time. We know it's valuable. Um, where can folks find you? And we'll have this in the description boxes below. Sure. If, if anybody's just listening and they're not seeing this, if they're at the gym or whatever, you know, no audio. problem. My, my, uh, my blog, my blog is philcook.com. I'm cook with an E. So it's P H I L C O O K E.com. And my Instagram, Twitter, they're all at Phil cook. So, uh, you go to my home base at philcook.com and you'll find everything you need to know. Sounds good. And, and, and folks do, do not call this guy. And pitch to him for 50 minutes straight. Don't don't <laughs> Thank call you. Phil and pitch for 50 <sighs> minutes straight. Bless you. So uh, hey, <laughs> really, really, really appreciate this. And um that that should just about do it. Thank you guys so much for watching, listening to the Jason D'Amico show. And uh, you guys know where to find Phil. Check out the description link below. And we will see you all on the next episode. Peace.